Thank you, Darlene. Uh, what a powerful song. It's a powerful song. Uh, not all Father's Days are like this for me, I'll be honest with you. Um, but every now and then I have a tough one. And uh, this is one of those tough ones, Mary Beth. For some reason, I, mean, I don't have anything to be tough about. I mean, it. it I thought I got it all out in the first service, but it looks like I'm blubbering again this service. Uh, but um, I just want to—I want to say say this. I, many of you know that uh, Robbie—you know my story. Robbie Robertson uh, put his name on my birth certificate when I was born. Uh, he's not my biological father, I, uh, but he's my dad. He raised me. I met my biological father in my twenties. And we have a relationship. I'm very grateful for him. I love him. And I love Robbie, my dad. Uh, and then I, God's put some men in my life, Buzzard, that I love deeply. And uh, so I got about four daddies, okay? <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting there getting ready to come out. And I get a text from one. And it says, I know Father's Day is a confusing day for you. He said, I just want to wish you a happy Father's Day. I love you. And uh, I was doing fine until that text came in just a few seconds ago. And so I just want to tell all my dads out there how much I love them and how grateful I am for them. And uh, oftentimes, and you may be in a situation like I was in, and maybe you don't know who your biological father is, or maybe you were adopted, raised by adopted parents. I want to tell you what, God gave me the mom and dad that he wanted me to have and raised me. And uh, I'm so grateful for my mom, and I'm grateful for the man that raised me. I'm grateful that I was able to meet my biological father and have a relationship with him. I'm very grateful for the men that God's placed in my life that uh, mean the world to me, that call me just about every day. And... Uh, and check on me and, and love on me. I'm very grateful for that. And so if you're able to, to speak with your father, those men that you love, I hope you're able to do so. Well, let me show you a, a picture of a godly father in Mark chapter 5. In Mark chapter 5, you find a man by the name of Jairus. And as Jairus uh, is living his life, his 12-year-old daughter gets deathly ill. And as she gets deathly ill, we find that the only one that can rescue her is Jesus. Now, let me say this right here parenthetically. The only one that can rescue us from the death that sin incurs upon each one of us is Jesus. He's the only one. Notice what this passage of Scripture says about this daddy. The Bible says, And when Jesus was passed over again by the ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh to the sea. Now, let me just stop right there and say something parenthetically, if I could, while I get my specs on. Uh, Jesus was up in the Capernaum area. He's in the Capernaum area. He's actually on the other side of the sea. He was in uh, over where the Gadarian maniac was at, over in Gadara. Now, you remember that guy? That guy had all these demons inside of him, and Jesus got off the boat. And this guy was cutting himself. It was a big mess. But when he seen Jesus... He calmed down. Remember, Jesus took those demons out of him, put them in the pigs, and those pigs jumped over him. It's a crazy story about Christ and the power that he has. 
Well, he gets on the boat and he's going back to the other side. He's going back to Capernaum, which he's been in Capernaum several, on several different occasions. And we find him getting back and he can't even get off the boat where the people start coming to him because they are hearing these miracles. So by the time you get to Mark chapter 5, Jesus is already in his miracle working uh, ministry. A lot, of ministry, a lot of ministries and miracles there that Jesus is doing. So that's where he's at. Look at what the Bible says in verse 22. The Bible says, And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet. And besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. That word thronged there, that's an old English word for a bunch of people gathered around him. It's a big crowd, big crowd of people, so, so many people there. He goes on to say there in the text, he says, If you'll come and touch my daughter, she's going to live. And all these people are pushed up against him. And a certain woman, which had an issue of blood for 12 years had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had, spent all of her money, and was not getting any better, but grew worse. And when she heard Jesus, came into the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. Isn't that an amazing contrast there? You may have noticed it. The contrast is... Here's a dad that wants Jesus to come to the daughter and touch the daughter. She's, she's dying, needs a touch from Jesus. And yet here's a woman that's sick that needs to touch Jesus. One wants Jesus to touch the child, and one just wants to touch Jesus. There are two types of people that are here today. Some that need a touch from Jesus, and some that need to touch Jesus. Look at what the dad says as we continue this journey. The Bible tells us here... In verse 29, in straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt as though her, in her body, and she was healed of that plague. And Jesus immediately, knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And the disciples turned to him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and saith thou, Who touched me? And he looked around and to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing... What was done in her came and fell down before him and, was t and told him all the truth. And he said to her daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. While he yet spake, there came from their ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, thy daughter's dead. Why trouble the master any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the rulers of the synagogue, be not, or the ruler of the synagogue, be not afraid, but only believe. And he suffered no man follow him, said Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when he had come to the house, the ruler of the synagogue, and he seeth that the tumult, and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he said unto them, Why make ye this ado? Uh, that word to do there, kid, that just means, what's all the ruckus about? Why, why is everybody so up in the air about this thing? It says, the little girl, the damsel's not dead, she's asleep. And they laughed him to scorn. But when he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel, and they went in to where she was at, and she entered therein where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand, and he said unto her, 
Telethi kumai, which is being interpreted, damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And straightway the damsel rose and walked. For she was of the age of twelve years, and they were astonished with great astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it, and commanded them that something, something should be given to her to eat. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. Here we find a godly father doing whatever he possibly can to get his children to Jesus. That is the basic premise of this text. Getting our children to Jesus. Or getting Jesus to our children. If you're going to get your children to Jesus, if you want to bring Jesus to your children, in doing so, you might fall and find yourselves in some very difficult times. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult. Here we find in this particular situation the focus of this man in regards to getting Jesus to his precious child. As a matter of fact, I want to share three points here about this narrative, if I could, while I have you here, about the focus of a Christian father. The first thing I want you to notice here in the text is I want you to see his priority. His priority. His priority is found in verses 21 through 23. Look at what the Bible says again in verse 21. It says, And when Jesus was passed over again by the ship to the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh to the sea. Jesus could not even get off the boat. He was so close there to the sea. The people were all around him. And there were these individuals that were there that wouldn't even let him off the boat. Why? Because every one of them want to see and hear and touch and listen. Listen to Jesus. And then we find the introduction of this man as he comes in. In verse number 22, the Bible says, And behold, there came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet. Here in this passage of Scripture, we begin to see the priorities of this man. Let me show them to you if I could. Number one, the first thing I want you to see is I want you to see his profession. His profession. What he does for a living. Did you see it? I'd mark it in your Bibles if you have your pens or pencils or lipstick, mascara, whatever it is you write with. I would underline that word rulers of the synagogue. Rulers, first of all, being in the plural sense. There's more than one. Of the synagogue, they're being in the house of worship, the religious place of worship. And so here is one of the religious leaders. He's not the preacher. He's not the priest. He's not the scribe. He's not the Pharisee. Uh, he is just a simple man that's been elected by the church. In fact, there were usually between three and seven of these individuals that would be enlisted in the church to take care of church things, to take care of very important church things. Like, for example, they were caretakers and administers of the synagogue. This man, Jairus, was elected in the church to make sure the doors were open and the doors were locked. He, was he is to make sure that everything was in its place. It was his responsibility to safeguard the scrolls. It was his responsibility to care for the facilities. It was his uh, opportunity and obligation to organize the synagogue school. He, he was, in essence, the Sunday school director. He was the one that supervised the readers of the Word of God. He supervised the teachers and those who prayed. He was like a spiritual bouncer. He made sure that everybody worshipped in the right way. I got a mental image in my mind when I was in Indonesia. I went to one of the mosques there, and as I was touring the mosque, there were these guys that were dressed kind of spiffy, and they had a rod in their hand, a whip-like thing. And I said, what, what, what are they for? 
They say, well, if anybody's ruly, unruly, if they get unruly, he goes and whips them out of the church or whips them out of the synagogue. And there's the imagery that we have here of this, of this, this guy. He had one of these jobs. It was a position of power. It was a position of prestige. It was a, it was a position that was looked up to. He was regarded as a man of influence and a man of deep, deep respect. We find that he was a ruler in the house of God or in the synagogue. Let me ask you a question. What's your job? What has God got you doing? What's your profession? We see, first of all, in the area of category of his priorities, we first see his profession. But let me show you a second thing. Not only do you see his profession, but you also see his position. Look at verse number 22. The Bible says, And behold, there came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, that's Jesus, he fell at his feet. Oh, wait a minute, there's a turn of events here, because not only do you see his profession, you see his position. The position that this man had is that he fell at Jesus' feet. That tells me a great deal about this man. This man had something even more important than what he did for a living. He was not just a ruler in the synagogue, but we find here a man that obviously knew who Jesus was. And knowing who Jesus was moved him to worship Jesus Christ. Here is a ruler in the synagogue falling down on his face at the feet of Jesus and worshiping him. What does that tell you? That tells you he's a believer. Now here's the question a lot of people ask. Did this guy really know Jesus? Let me call your attention, if I could, to Mark chapter 1. Turn over to Mark chapter 1. This is not the first time Jesus has been in this synagogue. Jesus has been here before. In Mark chapter 1, we find in verse number 21, Jesus is back in Capernaum. He's in Capernaum before he goes up and deals with the demonic of, of Gerasat. He is there, if you would, in Capernaum. And verse 21 says, And they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and he taught. And they, that's everybody that was in there, the rulers of the synagogues, the priests, those scribes, all that were there, the Bible says they were all um, astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. And there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee. Who thou art, the Holy One of God. Now, you remember what one of the rulers of the synagogue was supposed to do. They were supposed to control what was going on in the worship. And here's a man that stands up that is full of the devil. The devil doesn't come to church that Sunday morning. And he stood up and he said, What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you see what he called Jesus? He said, You are the Holy One of God. The rulers are already astonished and amazed as they're sitting back watching and saying, this man speaks with authority. This man speaks with power. This man speaks as if he's got something back in him. Who is this man? And now a demon-possessed man stands up in the congregation and says, you're the Holy One of God. I'm telling you, Jairus was there that day. It impacted him to such a way he believed Jesus to be the Messiah. Look at what happens here. The Bible says, And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold your peace and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. And they were all amazed in so much that they questioned among themselves, saying, 
what thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with what authority cometh he, even the unclean spirits they do obey him. And immediately, talking about Jesus, his fame spread abroad throughout all the region about Galilee. Here was a man that was a ruler in the synagogue. We find Jairus could quite possibly be there. And he saw Jesus perform a miracle, cast that demon out. And he says, if anybody can heal my daughter, if anybody can do it, this man can. And he worships the Son of God. We see his position. He falls in his faith. Let me ask you a question, dear friend. In regards to when you see Jesus, what does he cause you to do? Just this past week, my wife and I watched uh, that movie, I Can Only Imagine, about the lead singer for Mercy Me, whose father beat him bad situation and through the course of his life his father come to know Jesus Christ as his personal savior and lord and changed him and Mark said the lead singer there of mercy me he said the monster that I grew up with became my best friend God changed my daddy's life and through that change when his father passed away He wrote that song, I Could Only Imagine. Oh, brothers and sisters, can you imagine what it'll be like when you stand before God? He said, will I dance for you, Jesus, or in all of you be still? Will I stand in your presence, or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to sing at all? I can only imagine. Oh, this dad, when he got before Jesus, it drove him to his feet. We see his position. Number three, the third thing I want you to see in regards to his priority. Did you notice his prayer? His prayer. Look at what the Bible says in verse number 23. The Bible says, And he besought Jesus greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. By the way, that's a declaration of truth. He knew that she would live if he would only touch her. And this daddy wanting Jesus to come, we find in his prayer, it is a prayer of, first of all, humility. Did you see the humility in his prayer? Look at what he says in verse 23 again. He says, and he says, he besought him greatly. I would underline that. Why? Because that word, besought him greatly, means to come alongside and to bring someone to your side and to humbly ask a request of them. It would be what we would do today if our son or daughter were in the hospital and the doctor came in and and gave a real bad diagnosis that we didn't understand. And, and the doctor said, do you have any questions? And we would say, could, could I just see you over here just a minute? Could you come over here? Could I ask you, would you please explain this to me just a little bit better where I could understand it? It's the same word here we find in the text. Here's this daddy who fell at Jesus' feet and he gets up and his prayer is one of humility and he says, could I just talk to you for a minute? Will you just hear my heart? But not only was it a prayer of humility, it was also a prayer of faith. Look at what the Bible says. He tells Jesus there in his prayer, he says, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her 
that she may be healed and she shall live. Jesus saw this dad's heart. This daddy's heart was a heart of faith. This heart of faith that this daddy had moved Jesus in such a way that he said, let's go. Look at what the scripture says. The Bible says in verse 24, and Jesus went with him. Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus go with you? Is Jesus going with you today, dear friend? Have you found yourself in a place where your priorities become closer to Jesus Christ instead of focusing on your, on your uh, profession in regard to what you do for a living? Does it move down through the ranks that your profession leads you down to what's most important? And that's a prayer. And that prayer is a prayer of faith. And that prayer of faith is a prayer of humility. And that prayer of humility is one of saying, God, I know if you'll just touch, you can do anything. You see his priority. But then he moves from his priority to his persistence. In verses 24 through 40, we see this father move into a position of persistence. He's not going to give up. He's going to continue to ask Jesus to follow him. He wants Jesus to come to the house. But we find here in this text, it reveals to us that there are three areas where his faith was tested. I'm telling you what, anytime you move in a position of faith and take a step of faith, say, I know God can heal. God can do great works. He can do amazing things. He's still in a miracle work in business. I'm telling you what, I'm ready. I want to go after God. Your faith's always going to be tested. There's some of you here been praying for family members for years to get saved. They're not saved yet. There's some of you been praying for healing for years. You're not healed yet. Here's a dad that's Jesus is on his way to the house. And now we find his test, his faith is being tested. Maybe your faith is just being tested. Look at what the Bible says. The Bible says that his faith was tested in three ways. It was tested, first of all, with a distraction. Don't forget what Jesus is doing. Jesus is following Jairus, this ruler of the synagogue, this at one time religious man who now has a relationship with, he, with Jesus Christ. He's following him with all these people that are pressed around him. He's going to Jairus' house to touch his daughter so that she might be healed of her sickness. And while he's on the way, there's a distraction. Look at verse 24. The Bible tells us that as Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. And a certain woman, which had an issue of blood 12 years, had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. When she heard of Jesus coming in the press, she touched his garment. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. Isn't it amazing that here's a woman. Jesus is on his way to heal a 12-year-old girl. And yet a woman that has a problem for 12 years in her life that needs a touch from God. Jesus is going to touch somebody while somebody for 12 years is coming to touch him. And the Bible tells us here in the text that the father, the father must be. Distracted. 
Can you imagine? The Bible tells us here. Here's, use your sanctified imagination. There are these throngs. There's these crowds. And all these crowds are around Jesus. One man has got Jesus' attention. Will you come touch my daughter? Jesus says, yes, let's go to the house. And off they go to the house. And as they're walking to the house, all of a sudden, the man looks back. And there's Jesus in the crowd. And he's going, come on to the house. And as they're walking, Jesus stops. Can you imagine? The daddy, why are you stopping? The house is this way. Don't stop. Somebody touch me. Who touched me? I love the humor in the Bible. Look at this. I want you to see this. Jesus says, immediately knowing, in verse 30, immediately knowing that virtue had gone out of him. They didn't touch. She touched his clothes. And Jesus turns to the press and he says, who touched my clothes? Who touched me? I love the response of the disciples. Here's your typical Baptist when God does something great. Look at what they say. This is it right here. He said, who touched me? And the disciples said unto him, you see the multitude and you want to know who touched you? That guy touched you. That guy. They all touching you, Jesus. Have you lost your mind? Look at everybody touching you. He says, yeah, but here's what Jesus was saying. Somebody touched me with faith. You see, some people come to Jesus because of his popularity. But others come to Jesus because they know the price that he paid for redemption. She knew the price that he was going to pay for redemption. She knew the miracles that he performed was not just a miracle that some snake oil seller would do. No, this was the Messiah. And she knew that she didn't even have to touch him physically. If she could just touch something he was wearing. I might not can get close enough to grab an ankle. I might not get close enough to reach a hand. But if I can get close enough to just touch the clothing that he has, I'm going to be healed. And Jesus said, who, who touched me? Can you imagine what the dad was thinking during this time? All these people pressing up against Jesus, and he wants to know who touched him. Jesus knew exactly who touched him. Look at verse 32. The Bible says he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. He looked right at her. <laughs> you know, it's like one of these deals, Josh. It's like, who touched me? You know, he's looking at her. And the disciples are clueless. What do you mean who touched you? And the scriptures goes on to say this. But the woman fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her. I'm going to tell you what. When Jesus Christ touches you in the realm of being lost, and you were once lost, but then you're saved. When he touches you, I'm telling you, there's fear and trembling that takes place. The Bible says that this fear and trembling was, came upon her so much so because she knew what had happened. And she fell down before him in verse 33 and told him all the truth. She threw herself down at his feet and says, it was me, it was me, it was me. What I was thinking, I've got this issue of blood. I've had it for 12 years. I've been to every doctor in town. Nobody can cure me. Nobody can help me. I'm ceremonially unclean. I'm not even supposed to be here. I could be stoned for being here today. And Jesus said to her in verse 34, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. 
go in peace and behold of thy plague. See, what you might think is a distraction, God is really performing a miracle. He's wanting you to build your faith up. Notice what the scripture says. Not only is the first, first temptation in regards to a distraction, the second one is in regard to discouragement. Look at what happens in verse 35. The Bible says in verse 35, Yet while he spake, there came from the roof of the synagogue, uh, synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? He, here's the second test. So we've got, we got faith. We have faith that God's going to move and do great things. But now there comes discouragement. She's dead. You're too late. You'd have made it if Jesus hadn't have stopped and talked to that woman that had the issue of blood. You'd have, you'd have been on time. But that took too long. Don't bother the master any further. Discouragement. It affected this dad. Look at how it affected him. Look at verse number 36. The Bible says, As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith to the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. Here's the point that we're seeing here. That when this happened in this dad's life, he was afraid. He was scared. He just lost his daughter. And Jesus looked at him and said, Don't be afraid. Believe. I'm telling you, there's a word for somebody here today if you'll receive it. I'm telling you. I don't know what it is you're afraid of, but Jesus is saying today, I know you don't think I hear your prayer. I know you think I'm distracted. I'm not paying attention. I know that you're discouraged because of what the situation may be, but I'm telling you today, don't be afraid. Just believe. Keep believing. And then watch this. Here's the third test. I've got to hurry. I'm running out of time. The third test is with doubt. The third test is with doubt. So he went from a distraction. The dad did. Distraction. What's this woman? Why is he stopping and talking to her? To discouragement. There's no sense in coming to the house. She's dead. And then to doubt. Look, look where the doubt is in verse 38. The Bible says in verse 38, And when they come to the house and the rule of the synagogue, and they seeth the tumult, and them that wept and wailed greatly. Now, that, that's important. In their culture, when somebody died, the professional criers came on the scene. And they would show up at the house and they would, and it was just a mess. And so it was official. If they started, they did. And so we find here that here's this doubt that comes into this father's mind. I doubt that Jesus now can do anything. He's told me just to believe. But the professional welders are already here. They're already in the front of the house. And the Bible says in verse 39, uh, the scriptures tells us, And when he was come in, he saith unto them, Why are you making ye this ado? That's Jesus speaking. He says, What's all this to do about nothing? Why are y'all doing this? It ain't time to cry. She ain't dead yet. And the Bible says... The damsel's not dead but sleeping in verse number 40, and they laughed him to scorn. They obviously did not see or, or hear or know that Jesus just healed a, a demonic just north of them up in Gadarene. Neither did they hear about the woman that he just healed with the issue 
of blood. Neither have they heard anything that Jesus had done up until this time because they're making fun of him and scorning him and saying, you're ridiculous in believing that she is not dead. She's dead. She's not breathing. Get a mirror. Put it under her nose. You ain't going to see no breath. She is dead. Verse number 40 says, but when he had put them all out, he said, I don't need this in the room. Y'all get out. Get out. You see, those that are getting out are those that are doubters. Those that are scorners. Those that don't believe. He says, I want them out. And he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him. And he entered where the damsel was lying. So he's in the house and he moves into the bedroom. As he moves into that room, there's the damsel. And we see a transition now in verse number 41. He moves from this dad's persistence. This dad could have said, you know what? It's over, Jesus. It's over. I thought there was hope when you got off the ship. But you, we, we got distracted and it just took too much time. I still had hope, but when they came and told me that my daughter was dead, I lost it. You tried to encourage me, and, t- and you told me, Jesus. You said, hang in there, son. Don't be afraid. Just believe. But now I get to the house, and all these people here are crying. She's dead, Jesus. She's dead. And they're laughing at you. And as Jesus clears the room and is there by the bedside of that dear, precious 12-year-old girl, the Bible says in verse 41, a transition He took the damsel by the hand and he said unto her, Talithi Gumai, which is being interpreted, which means, damsel or little lady, it's time to wake up. Get up on your feet. And the Bible says, and straightway, that is immediately, this little girl stood up and began to walk. She was the age of 12 and they were astonished with great astonishment. Did you see the transition? We move from this father's priority to, second, his persistence. He kept on. He didn't give up. He wanted to, but he didn't. And then he moves down into his, number three, the third category, his praise. Verse 41 through 43, we see this father's praise. The Bible tells us in the text that they were astonished with great astonishment. Now, I would underline that word astonish and astonishment because it's two different words. The first one, astonished, there uh, is a very fascinating word. That word astonished in the text means uh, to be thrown out of position, to be displaced, to be thrown into wonderment, to be out of one's mind, to be one to be classified as being insane. Am I really seeing what I'm seeing? They were amazed. And then they used the adjective great. It is the Greek word megas. It's where we get our English word mega, uh, as in megaphone, to make one's speech louder. And so now their amazement is even louder is what he's saying. And it's loud in the area of astonishment or amazement. This is ekletos. It's the Greek word ekletos, and it means to be displaced in the mind to the point of bewilderness, bewilderment, but excited about what just happened. They are moved inside because their dead daughter is now alive and has stood up on her feet and has said, Yes, I'm alive. And we find here 
The Bible says that their praise is that of amazement and great astonishment. You see, their praise is twofold. Watch what this mom and daddy do. Number one, the first thing they're amazed at is they're amazed at the miracle. Their dead daughter is now alive. But they're amazed at the second thing. They're also amazed at the master. They're amazed at Jesus who touched their daughter. I love what Jesus says. I love his sense of humor here. Verse 33, he just raised this dead girl up after he told everybody she was sleeping. The Bible says, And Jesus charged them straightly, saying that no man should know it. Can you imagine that conversation? The lady just, the the, the 12-year-old girl just got out of bed. She was dead. The professional mourners were there. I mean, they were measuring her up for a casket. They were getting her ready. And Jesus says, don't tell anybody I did this. What do you mean, don't tell anybody? My daughter was dead. Don't tell anybody. No, he says, as a matter of fact, what I'm going to tell you, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you if you don't, and he uses the word commanded. Look at what he says there. He says, he commanded them, don't tell anybody, but what I want you to do is just go to the kitchen and make her something to eat. I want you to go about your regular day. Because Jesus is in the miracle-making business. Brothers and sisters, the point that I want to make to you this morning in this narrative is simply this. Jesus will have his way when he wants to have his way. And just because you've been praying for something for years and years and years and you had not got an answer yet, you had not got a a, a clear direction yet, doesn't mean God don't care. Listen, he's not distracted. Uh, Don't you dare be discouraged and cast doubt away from you because really what God's doing is operating on his time and not yours. Your miracle will happen when God wants it to happen. And he wanted this little girl to be raised up after she drew her last breath. What is it that God's speaking to you about, dear friend? What about you, Dad? What's your focus when it comes to being a father? You know, as you read this passage of Scripture, it's very fascinating. In reading this passage of Scripture about this man's priority, his profession, and his position, and his prayer, we see that it moves from a place where his profession, him being a ruler in the synagogue, was not as important as his prayer. What was important was his prayer and his humility. Dear brothers and sisters, what's important to God is your relationship with him. And if we're ever going to stand in amazement of the master, we've got to clearly understand the miracle of redemption. And what I mean by that is simply this. When Jesus Christ came on this earth and died on Calvary's cross, he took your sins and mine, placed them upon himself, To perform the greatest miracle of all. The miracle of redemption. So that when he died and was buried and rose up on the third day. He was victorious over death, hell and the grave. And that victory causes you and I to know where we're going to spend an eternity. If I were to ask you today this question. If you were to die today, where would you spend an eternity? I've heard people say all kinds of things. I've heard people say, well I hope I'd go to heaven. I've heard some say, I think I'm going to go to heaven. Some even say, well, I know I'm going to heaven. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says you can know. According to the Word of God, the Bible says you can know that you're going to heaven when you die. So how how would I know that, preacher? How do I know that? 
1 John 5, 13 says this. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know that you're going to heaven when you die by praying and inviting Jesus to come into your heart. The Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. I wonder this morning, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, maybe you're here today and maybe you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. Quit putting it off today, dear friend. Today, give your heart to Jesus. Today, pray and ask the Lord to save you. So how would I do that, preacher? Say something like this to the Lord. Say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that you are the Savior. I pray that you'd save me today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now look right this way this morning. As we sing a hymn of invitation, we're going to open the altars. and If you'd like to come, you're more than welcome to come today. But I'm going to go back and I'm going to be in this room. When you exit the doors, I'm going to be in the first room on the left. The door will be open. I'm going to be in there. If you're our guest or if you prayed to receive Christ or maybe you'd just like to come see me, I'd love to see you. I may be sitting in a chair in there. Maybe may be eating me a little snack, getting charged up for the next round. But that doesn't mean I don't want to see you. I desperately would love to see you. So please, would you come see me after we're done? And then if you'd like some spiritual guidance and counsel, Pastor David will be in room 257. That's the last door on the left as you exit today. Stop by there. Maybe you'd like to know more about Maysville. Either one of us would love to help you. Would you come see me today? Father, have your way, I pray, in this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand. Sing just as I am one verse. The altars are open. If you need to come, you come as we sing. I love you. We need to get this area refreshed again. We'll load everybody in here one more time, and we'll do it one more round. I love you. Happy Father's Day. Have a great day. Don't play that video, guys. we got to get everybody out. we got 15 minutes. I love you. Have a great day. Thank you so very much for tuning in to our broadcast today. It is the purpose of Maysville Baptist Church to love God, love others, and serve the world. One of the ways that we serve the world is broadcasting this program all over the world through the internet. I want to tell you what a joy it is to have you tune in today. Maybe at the end of the service you prayed and received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. Several years ago, I wrote a book entitled My First Week. I would love to send you a copy of this book to help you on your brand new journey as being a born-again Christian. If you'll just reach out to me by our website, send me an email, uh, or maybe even call the church. I'd be glad to drop this in the mail and send it to you. May the Lord bless you for tuning in. I hope to see you next week, and thank you for being with us at Mason. So we pray.